We're going to be in Luke chapter 9 tonight, and um, I'm going to be uh, hitting some scriptures that um, Pastor Brent actually preached on on Sunday, and uh, he told me, you better not try to preach over my message, and I I told him there's no way, because he he knocked it out of the park, Uh, but we're going to be in Luke chapter 9, verses 57 through 62. It says, Now it happened as they journeyed on the road that someone said to him, Lord, I will follow you wherever you go. And Jesus said to him, Foxes have holes and birds of the air have nests, but the Son of Man has nowhere to lay his head. Then he said to another, Follow me. But he said, Lord, let me first go and bury my father. Jesus said to him, let the dead bury their own dead, but you go and preach the kingdom of God. And another also said, Lord, I will follow you, but let me first go and bid them farewell who are at my house. But Jesus said to him, no one having put his hand to the plow and looking back is fit for the kingdom of God. So tonight I'm going to speak to you on set your hand to the plow. And before we begin, I'm going to ask our bishop to pray over the word. In the name of Jesus, your presence is manifest in this place tonight. I'm asking God that your anointing will continue to rest on your male servant. Let him deliver the counsel of your will. I'm asking God that this word go forth in power and demonstration and manifestation. Let it fall on good ground in this place. Let it produce what you purpose. And on your command, God, if you see fit, allow your angels to minister in this place tonight. We give you the honor, the glory, and the praise. In Jesus' name, amen. Amen. Thank you, Bishop. And clap your hands to the Lord as you're seated tonight. So, I've been reading this passage of scripture, and I, I haven't been able to get aw- uh, away from it. And um, there's just something about it that, is, that has really struck me. And so I'm going to do my best to break it down for you, but um, let's reread a little bit. Uh, verse 57, it happened as they journeyed on the road that someone said to him, Lord, I will follow you wherever you go. So this man sees Jesus, and he declares to him that he will follow him wherever he goes. Now, that's a powerful statement, because that is without condition. That is saying, it doesn't matter where you go, I will be there. Um, And that it's making a commitment, uh, which sounds really good when you say it, but when it comes down to... Um, really breaking down what that means is you've got to be in it thick and thin. Whether times are good, whether times are bad, whether it's convenient for you or whether it's not, you're making a commitment to the Lord that I will be there wherever you go. I'm going to follow you. And I like the word follow there because it doesn't mean, God, I'm going to go where I feel like going and you'll meet me there. Because we have a relationship. It's, no, it's saying, God, I'm going to follow where you go. I will go where you lead me. I'm not going to dictate 
the circumstances of how I live for you, where you lead me, that's where I will be. And Jesus tells him, he says, foxes have holes and birds of the air have nests, but the son of man has nowhere to lay his head. And so when you break this down, you're thinking, well, foxes have holes. This is where they live. These are their homes. They sleep in holes in the ground. They have their families in holes in the ground. Birds of the air, they have nests. They build nests uh, in the trees or on the cliffs or at an elevated position. They're going to build their nest, and that's where they're going to sleep at night. That's where they're going to raise their young. That's where they're going to live their lives when they're not out flying and searching for food. But Jesus says the Son of Man has nowhere to lay his head. Now, lay here is, is talking about the deliberate laying of his head into a position of rest. So the Lord was letting him know, you say that you're going to follow me wherever I go. I'm going to go ahead and let you know now that what I do here on this earth is not an easy thing. What I was sent here for is not going to be convenient for you at times. There may be times where you want to take a break and lay your head and rest. But God did not send me here to lay down and rest. He sent me here to minister to the lost. He sent me here to preach to the brokenhearted, to the poor. He sent me here for a purpose. And because of that purpose, there is no place for me to lay my head and rest. And so he's, he's speaking in a literal sense. I, don't, I do not believe Jesus was a homeowner. I don't believe that on the weekends he came home and, and, you know, flipped the TV on and watched college game day. He had stuff to do. He was busy about his father's business. And so when we think about what this means to us today, God is not telling us that we need to sell all of our belongings and go out and continually travel doing the will of God. But what he's saying is, if you're going to follow me, you cannot take days off. You cannot rest from the purpose that I have for you. You must continually follow me whether it's convenient for you or not. Whether you feel like it or not, it doesn't matter what comes your way. You said you would follow me wherever I go. And if I'm moving, that means you also must be moving. So we can't take days off for living for God. But then Jesus said to another, he said, follow me. But this man said to him, Lord, let me first go and bury my father. So Jesus is giving a call here. The first man told the Lord, I will follow you. Now this one, the Lord sees him and tells him, you follow me. He's receiving a direct call. But this man says, Lord, I'll follow you, but I have some other things that I have to take care of first. Now, it sounds harsh. I mean, we don't know for sure from this scripture. We can maybe guess that the man's father had already died and he needed to bury him. But it could also be, God, I'll follow you after my father is gone. Don't know for sure. But first, he says, I want to follow you, but there's some other things that are more important in my life at this time that are preventing me from following you at this moment. 
Now, I want to look at this in contrast to some of the other disciples. Let's go to Luke chapter 5, verse 27. Luke chapter 5, verse 27 says, After these things he went out, talking of Jesus, and he saw a tax collector named Levi, also called Matthew. And he was sitting at the tax office. And he said to him, Follow me. So he left all, rose up, and followed him. Verse 29, Then Levi gave him a great feast in his own house, and there were a great number of tax collectors and others who sat down with them. So this is in great contrast to this man that the Lord called in Luke chapter 9. This man said, Lord, there's some other things I need to attend to first before I follow you. But Levi, or Matthew, is sitting here in the tax office, and the Lord says, follow me. And he doesn't say, as a tax collector, uh, Lord, let me first swindle a few more people. He didn't say, let me finish up my paperwork and my accounting. He didn't say, Lord, that sounds good, but I need to wrap some things up here. Let me talk to my employer and see if I can have a period of time off. What Matthew did is he packed up his things, left his work there in the office and said, I'm following you without question. All he said was, follow me. And he said, I will go. And what I see is that immediately Levi gives him a feast. He doesn't hesitate in beginning to serve the Lord, however he knew how to do. But this other man had other things that were taking precedent over following God. And let's also look at, uh, we're going to go to the book of Matthew, verses four, or chapter 4, verses 18 through 22. Verse 18, it says, And Jesus, walking by the Sea of Galilee, saw two brothers, Simon called Peter and Andrew his brother, casting a net into the sea, for they were fishermen. Then he said to them, Follow me, and I will make you fishers of men. Verse 20 says, They immediately left their nets and followed him. Going on from there, he saw two other brothers, James the son of Zebedee, and John, his brother, in the boat with Zebedee, their father, mending their nets. He called them, and immediately they left the boat and their father and followed him. So we see another instance of the Lord calling individuals to come and to follow him. There's not much detail other than follow me. I don't know if they had ever even heard of this man before. But he saw them and he looked at them and said, follow me. And without hesitation, the scripture says they immediately left their boat and their father and came after Jesus without hesitation. So there's a great discrepancy between these four disciples that we just read about here, the fifth Matthew and Le or, or Levi, and this other man that God called later on. 
Can you imagine being in the boat with your, with your own father, with your own, working your profession, and someone walks up to you and says, follow me. And in that instance, you have to decide, am I going to do that? Or am I going to stick to everything that I've known in my life up to this point and give myself unto that? Because God may be requiring some things from each of us in here, saying, I know this brings you comfort. I know this is what you've grown up doing. I know this is what you know. But I'm calling you to something greater, and there's a decision that has to be made. Are you going to follow me now because the door is open before you now? Or are you going to stick to what you've already always known, what is comfortable to you, and wait for that door to close? We see these who were among the 12 disciples of Jesus, those closest to him. They made the choice to immediately get up and follow him. Now let's go back to Luke chapter 9. Let's look at verse 60. It says, Jesus said to him, the man who said, let me first go bury my father. He says, let the dead bury their own dead, but you go and preach the kingdom of God. In other words, don't worry about the things that are on your mind that you feel you need to take care of before you follow me. Let those things handle themselves. I know what you have need of. I can take care of that. But what I need you to do is do my will, and I'm telling you to go and preach the kingdom of God. There could be no hesitation when God gives a call. Our job, our responsibility is to answer that call and say, God, no matter what, I told you I would follow you. So wherever you lead me, that's where I'll go. No matter how difficult of a decision it is, I will leave everything that I know and that is dear to me to follow after you. In verse 61, Jesus said to another, or another said to him, Lord, I will follow you. But let me first go and bid them farewell who are at my house. So again, a seemingly another willing vessel saying, God, hey, I'll follow you. I'm ready. Let's do this. Oh, but I forgot. There's some people at my house I need to go talk to first. There can be draws on us from people that we have relationships with. And I'm not speaking against family, I'm not speaking against friends, but what I am saying is that sometimes those we hold closest to us, God is not calling them at this moment to the same place he's calling us. And we have to make some decisions at points in our lives to say, God, I love them, but I'm going to put them in your hands and trust you with them. I'm going to follow you no matter where you tell me to go. Some tough things sometimes that the Lord will ask us to do, but it's a test to see, do we really mean the things that we've prayed? Probably everyone in here can lift their hand and say, yes, I have prayed something along those lines that, Lord, I want your will for my life. I will follow you. I will go where you want me to go. But when God comes and he says, okay, I heard your prayer. Now it's time for you to fulfill that prayer. What are we going to do when we're faced with the reality of those remarks? So the Lord says to this man, No one having put his hand to the plow and looking back is fit for the kingdom of God. 
So we're going to talk about setting our hands to the plow. I'm going to break these a few words down for just a moment. The word put here, no one having put his hand to the plow, it literally means to throw upon. So if you're putting your hand to the plow, a plow being a a tiller of the ground, a tool used in, in agriculture to disturb the soil, to prepare it for seed. If you're putting your hand onto the plow, you're throwing your hand onto it. That is a deliberate action that you're taking. You're making the choice to place your hand upon this instrument. Your hand is not being forced upon it. No one's grabbing your hand and throwing your hand onto that plow. You are in control of your hand. So if you're throwing your hand upon the plow, you have made the choice to grab that plow. So Jesus says, no one having put his hand willingly to the plow and looking back is fit for the kingdom of God. That word looking there means to see, to observe, to discern, to perceive, and it also is frequently implying special contemplation. So if you have put your hand to the plow, but you are looking back or looking behind or looking at what has already passed with special contemplation, trying to perceive the things of the past, trying to look back and understand things that are already in the past, the word says that that person is not fit for the kingdom of God. When you are working a plow, I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to break out my farmer skills. I know everybody in here believes that I'm a country boy. No, not at all. Born and raised here in, inside 410. Amen. <laughs> if you don't know what 410 is, that is the small loop around the inner part of the city. Um, I am definitely not a country boy. Although when I get around the prophet Massey, it starts to come out a little bit. But um, I was studying a little bit about about plowing, and I don't. I've never been driving past a, a a plot of land that is being farmed, and I've never seen the rows of crops anything other than straight. And so it really it really struck me. I'm trying to figure out why is everything straight. What, you know, are we got are all farmers OCD a little bit? Got to have everything perfect. I don't know. But everything always looks straight. When you're driving down the highway and you're passing a cornfield, I mean, you can see those rows, they're lined up. Now, so in, in some of my research I was finding, some of it's a little, a bit of an ego thing with farmers. They don't want their neighbors to see crooked rows of crops. Some will even go to the extent that by the road, they will actually plant parallel to the road so nobody can see that they're off. Um, but why, why straight? Well, it's important when you're plowing that you continually look forward. If you're not looking forward and you're looking behind, as you dig up until that earth, you're going to get off course. 
you're going to have a little bit of a, a snake-looking line where you're about to plant your crops. And so what that does is it can make harvest time that much more difficult. It can also make the rest of your plowing that much more difficult because if you want everything to be uniform, you're going to have to follow that same thing you just did. And so it's a lot easier to keep straight lines and keep your focus straight ahead so that when you come around and you come next to it, you line up, you just keep, you just keep it going. It makes things a whole lot easier. It also is beneficial for spacing out your crops. They're spaced out properly. You can keep things exactly where they need to be. When you go to plant your, your crops, put your seed in the ground. You can space everything out exactly where you need it to be to give it proper space to grow, to get as big as it needs to get, to get as much water as it needs to get so it can produce as much fruit as it can to make you the most profit. So it's very important that you keep straight lines. So if you're looking back when you have your hand to the plow, you're slacking off and you're potentially ruining your harvest season. You're diminishing the return on your hard work. So you have to keep your focus ahead. And so when the Lord is talking about putting your hand to the plow, he's talking about working in the kingdom of God. So if you're working in the kingdom of God, the Lord wants your focus forward. Because we've made the commitment, God, I'm going to follow you wherever you go. So if the Lord is saying, well, follow me wherever I go, and you're tilling that ground that he told you to till, and he says at this point, I want you to stop that row because I'm going to move over here and I need you to continue this way. You have to be able to see your target in front of you. And so what farmers will do, I think it's called the post rule or or they'll use a tree or fence post, they will find a point in the distance and they will make that their focus and they will keep, in modern days, they'll keep their tractor centered with that post as best they can as they drive forward. And it will give them a perfect row for their crop because they're looking forward. They're not looking behind. And what can happen when you look behind is you can hurt your neck because when you're plowing, you have to make sure that there's not anything in the soil sticking up that you're not aware of. Because if you hit something that's in the ground, something like a tree stump or a, a rock that you didn't know was there, what happens when you hit that and you're looking behind is it can jostle you and it can actually injure your neck or your back because you're not focused on what's ahead. You could tear up your equipment, that's right. In the old days, when you used a mule or a horse or whatever, an ox, whatever they were using, and they had this rudimentary equipment, the last thing you want to do is hit something that's immovable in the ground. So you have to keep your focus forward because if you don't and you hit something and you break your equipment or you injure yourself or your animal, your crops you're losing that time that God has given you to get your stuff in the ground to produce the fruit that you need for harvest time. So it's very important that we keep our hands to the plow. Now the word fit here, it means well-placed. It means appropriate. It means ready for use. It means well-adapted. So when we are looking back, we are not well-placed in the kingdom of God. When we are looking back, we are not appropriate or ready for use in the kingdom of God. 
because our focus is no longer on the Father. It's no longer on his will. It's no longer on what he's told us to pursue and to move forward towards. Now it's on things in the past that's already been covered under the blood that God said, hey, I've forgotten about that already. Why are you trying to dig those things up? And most likely what it is is we've allowed the enemy to get into our hearts and our minds and cause us to dwell on things that God has already taken care of and get our eyes off of him. But he wants our focus to be moving forward. How many are ready to move forward with what God has for your life? Now, this is why it's um, so vital that we keep our hands to the plow and we keep looking forward. Because plowing prepares the soil. Sister Kimberly, you just spoke on this in prayer a couple weeks ago. But that plowing, it's not just work for the sake of work. There's a purpose to it. So as you plow that ground, what you're doing is you're taking that hard, compact soil that is not ready to receive seed, and you are mixing it up. You are breaking it down so that it becomes more pliable, and you can move that soil and make a space to put that seed into the ground. And so if the seed is the word of God, as you are plowing in the kingdom of God, you are preparing soil so that the word of God can be planted and it can take root. And from that point, it can grow into a plant and mature and produce fruit for harvest time. And so if God is calling us to plow in the kingdom and to look forward and keep our hands on the plow, then it's for a purpose and we are preparing spiritual soil for the word of God to be planted in for a great harvest that is coming and is already here. Amen? But if that soil is not broken up, the seed cannot take root. Or at least your success rate will not be what it can be if you break that soil up. So it has to be plowed. But plowing is not easy. Sometimes plowing is very difficult and strenuous. It is a lot of work to break up that ground. But it has to be done. Plowing also adds nutrients back to the soil. The top part of the soil becomes hard and dense, and the nutrients are deep within. And so as you plow and you mix up that dirt, those nutrients are able to rise up to where that seed is going to be planted. So it is vital that we do this. Church family, we have to plow in the kingdom of God. Now, my responsibility is to plow where God has called me to plow. I am not going to try to go to another man's field and plow something that God has not called me to plow. I am not going to volunteer to go to a place that God did not tell me to go to and say, break up this ground. I'm going to stay in the field that belongs either to myself or to the, the master above me. That says, I have hired you to work in this field. And until I release you to go somewhere else, you cannot plow in another field. 
I'm going to stay where God has me and plow exactly where God has told me to plow. And if I go and I take my equipment and my, my animals or I take my machinery and I go to plow somewhere else and that machinery, equipment, it fails, that is on me. That is not the responsibility of anyone else to fix that. I have made that mistake and I must pay the consequences. We often hear it said, bloom where you're planted. Do your best where God has placed you. And when the time comes for God to do more with you, he'll take you, he'll dig you up, he'll put you in a pot for transportation, and he'll plant you somewhere else where he wants you to be. And you can trust that you will not go into shock and die. God will make sure that you survive that transplant. But until then, we've got to stay where God has planted us. If we're talking about plowing, I'm not going to move myself to another field until God says, no, you go over here, and this man will confirm it. Because when we're talking about the kingdom of God, this field that we're all laboring in, really, it is not our own field. But it belongs to the Lord. The Lord is the master of the harvest. Let's, let's read Luke chapter 10, uh, verses 1 and 2. It says, after these things, the Lord appointed 70 others also and sent them two by two before his face into every city and place where he himself was about to go. Then he said to them, the harvest truly is great, but the laborers are few. Therefore, pray the Lord of the harvest to send out laborers into his harvest. So if the Lord is the Lord of the harvest, then that means he's also the landowner. He owns the field that we're all plowing in but the Lord has set a master over the field and that is Bishop Jackson the apostle over every field that God gives a region state whatever wherever God sends us he's master over that field but the Lord is the owner of that harvest so where we are working where we are plowing it is not our own. So we don't have the authority to say, well, I feel like plowing this direction today. I feel like plowing this way, or I feel like doing, you know, however I see fit to do this. It is not up to us to decide how we're going to plow in the field. We take our instruction from the master who's been put in charge over the property. And so I cannot make decisions based off of what I feel. I have to make decisions based off of what I've been instructed. That's why it's important we keep our eyes forward. Because if we're looking back while we plow in someone else's field... We're making mistakes in something that doesn't belong to us. We're making mistakes with something that, that we don't feel the repercussions of our actions like those above us do. There's a chain of command. The greenhorn on the job site makes, makes a mistake. He doesn't get the same chewing out as the 
uh, superintendent who keeps letting that same greenhorn come to the job site and make that same mistake. So we don't have a right to do whatever we want in God's field. We have to follow the instruction that's laid before us. That's why we have to keep our hand on the plow and continue to move forward in the direction that we are instructed. And that direction comes from the man of God. It is not possible to stay in alignment with what is in front of you when we are continually looking back or to the left or to the right. If our focus is not on what the Lord is saying through our shepherd and what God is ministering in this place, we will miss it and we will make some mistakes in a field that doesn't even belong to us. Now, it's a little a little tight in here and that's okay I didn't intend to stay there as long as I did however I do feel that that someone needs to to hear that you have to stay in the field that God has called you to be in And when the Lord releases you for another field, it'll be in his timing. And he'll let the man of God know. Let's go to Luke chapter 10. We're going to read verses 17 through 20. Actually, before we go there. I'm sorry, if you could go back to verse 2. I want to read this because I know this is where we are, and I know Pastor Brent just preached this on Sunday, and the man is a preacher. I've heard the Lord speak through the gifts twice and say, Preach, O preacher. Tell me he's not a preacher. He's a preacher. But Jesus said to them, The harvest truly is great, but the laborers are few. Therefore pray the Lord of the harvest to send out laborers into his harvest. Now a laborer here is a a field worker. So it could be a different crew that is brought in to do the harvest than those that have the skill set to plow the ground or to to plant the seed or to tend the plants. But most likely, it's the same group of people from beginning to end working these fields. And so the same ones that the Lord can trust to plow are the same ones that God can trust to bring in the harvest. The harvest is here. It's not just coming anymore, but the harvest is here. But the harvest is not just here in San Antonio. The harvest is out from here. And so when I read this, and the scripture says that the harvest truly is great, but the laborers are few. To me, that, that, that strikes a chord because 
in this great harvest that God is doing, how can there be so few laborers? How come there are not more people that are willing to get in alignment with the Lord and say, God, I want to be a part of that great harvest? We're going to see the greatest outpouring of the Holy Ghost that the world has ever seen. We're going to see signs, miracles, and wonders like we've never seen before. I believe that the Lord just spoke about this body and spoke of Azusa Street. And if you know any about Pentecostal history or our movement or people of truth, and you've heard of Azusa Street, you know that God did some tremendous things at that location. And so if God is comparing what he's going to do here to that, but greater, just get ready and buckle up because God is about to do something amazing in our midst. And why there aren't more people out there that will say, God, I'll follow you wherever you lead because I want to be a part of that harvest. It's hard to comprehend. But there's a lot of people that will say that. But when it comes down to it, it's just not convenient enough for them to make the commitment that God is requiring to be a part of that harvest. They can't be trusted with it. So if the great harvest is coming and it's here, but the laborers are few, what a blessing it is to be a part of this body that God has called out. That means we are a part of those few laborers. And it says, pray the Lord of the harvest to send out laborers into his harvest. So we have been praying. Pastor Brent talked about having compassion, and he talked about the people of San Antonio. And we are being sent out into San Antonio, into the harvest here. But I think of every individual that's being sent out away from San Antonio. They're going into a harvest. Pastor Moore, Pastor Barlow. Brother and Sister Jansen, when they go, the binges, everyone who is being sent out are going into a great harvest. But what they're taking with them is the knowledge that they have gained in this place because they have stayed submitted to this man and have learned how to plow in his fields so that when they go out, they can institute the same things and see God do what he's doing here where they go. Now let's go to Luke 10, verse 17, and we're going to be coming to a close here shortly. Luke chapter 10, verse 17, it says, The 70 returned with joy. Now, the Lord has sent out 70 other disciples, two by two, to go out, and he gave them authority to do things. So they returned with joy, saying, Lord, even the demons are subject to us in your name. And he said to them, I saw Satan fall like lightning from heaven, Behold, I give you the authority to trample on serpents and scorpions and over all the power of the enemy, and nothing shall by any means hurt you. Nevertheless, do not rejoice in this, that the spirits are subject to you, but rather rejoice because your names are written in heaven. And I wanted to read this, and I, I felt this from the Lord. When we're talking about the harvest, and we're talking, we hear um, a lot of the same names mentioned over and over. And there's nothing wrong with that. And, and Prophetess dealt with some things on Monday night. But the thing is, just because their names are mentioned, it does not mean 
that their role is any more or less important than anyone else sitting in here. And so if God has called you to be a part of the harvest, no matter what role you fulfill in the body of Christ, you are important. But the Lord told these men when they returned, hey, don't rejoice over all of the things that you, you did while you were out. They saw some wonderful things. But don't rejoice over all of that. Rather rejoice that your names are written in heaven. And so what that means to me is whatever God calls me to do in this end time revival that he has brought forth, whether it's what I feel in my heart I want to do or not, whether it's as great in my eyes as I think it should be or not, whatever God does through me, it's vital to his kingdom. And I'm willing to do whatever he asks me to do because it doesn't matter what it looks like in my eyes or any other person's eyes. As long as my name is written in heaven, I am doing the will of God and I will make it to the kingdom of God. That is all that matters. But if I want my name to be written in the kingdom of heaven, it doesn't matter how many devils I cast out of somebody. It doesn't matter how many people I lay my hands on and they recover. It doesn't matter all the wonderful works that I did, but I should rejoice simply because my name is written in heaven. Verse 23, let's jump there. It says, then he, re he turned to his disciples, and I skipped a little bit, but for time's sake, he turned to his disciples, and he said privately to them, blessed are the eyes which see the things you see, for I tell you that many prophets and kings have desired to see what you see and have not seen it, and to hear what you hear and have not heard it. So when I read these things, I think... What a blessing it is just to simply be a part of the kingdom of God. I don't care about title. I don't care about position. I don't care about role in the kingdom. If my eyes can see just a portion of what God is going to do in this place and then the extensions of this place and what God is going to do through Reverend Garza, if my eyes can witness that, what a blessing it is to be a part of his kingdom. I don't care if anyone ever calls me prophet. I don't care if anyone ever calls me pastor or a bishop or an evangelist. It doesn't matter about title to me. Prophet, you said Monday if you're just a doorkeeper. I don't care if God wants me to be a porter and scrub the bathrooms for the rest of my life. If I get to be a part of the kingdom of God, if my name is written in heaven, and I get to witness some of these things that the prophets and kings of the past desired to see but could not, then that is enough for me. But no matter what I am called to be, what God places upon me, I'm going to do it to the best of my ability. I'm going to set my hand to that plow, and I'm going to move forward towards what God has called me to do. And nothing else. My job is to move forward and to press in to what he has called me to do. 
You can all stand. We're going to come to a close. If the musician could come. In Philippians chapter 3, Paul is, is, he's laying some things out and he is saying, look, if anyone has a reason to be confident in themselves, it's me. I like that. Made me want to bust a move up here. I didn't see my feet start tapping, and I was ready to go. (laughs) Paul is saying, if anyone has a reason to be confident, it's me. And he lays out all of his uh, accolades, if you will, and who he is in Judaism and and, his upbringing and where he's from. And he says, but what things were gained to me, these I have counted lost for Christ. Yet indeed, I also count all things lost for the excellence of the knowledge of Christ Jesus, my Lord, for whom I have suffered the loss of all things and count them as rubbish that I may gain Christ and be found in him, not having my own righteousness, which is from the law, but that which is through faith in Christ the righteousness which is from God by faith, that I may know him in the power of his resurrection and the fellowship of his sufferings, being conformed to his death, if by any means I may attain to the resurrection from the dead. Not that I have already attained or am already perfected, but I press on that I may lay hold of that for which Christ Jesus has also laid hold of me, Brethren, I do not count myself to have apprehended, but one thing I do, forgetting those things which are behind and reaching forward to those things which are ahead, I press toward the goal for the prize of the upward call of God in Christ Jesus. So I read all that to say, whatever we think we have in this life or whatever God allows us to have, None of those things matter if we don't, are not willing to lose all of it to find the knowledge of him and to attain to the resurrection from the dead. We have to press on. Press on. Press toward the goal for the prize of the upward call of God in Christ Jesus. So tonight our prayer And if you would like to come to the altar, the altars are open. But tonight our prayer is going to be, God, if I have prayed that prayer, Lord, that I will follow you wherever you go, and I have been unwilling to follow through on my commitment to you, God, I pray that you would help me to lay down the things that seem to be so important in my life 
that I may do your will and follow you as I said I would. And Lord, help me to keep my hand to the plow and continue to move forward toward what you have called me to do, Lord. So next few moments, why don't we lift our hands and let's just talk to the Lord. Lift our voices unto him.